All right. Good morning. This may sound a little bit arrogance to say, but I think you'll find when you leave here this morning, you'll be saying to yourself, that is the best church service I've been to all year. Seriously, this will be the best church service you've been to all year. Um, it may be the worst church service you've been to all year as well, I'm not sure, but uh, it is it's the very first service of the year. And uh, I hope you made some great New Year's resolutions. We're already on the third, so I'm guessing 50% of you have already um, given up on some of them. Uh, hopefully, you're still hanging in there. I've seen some challenges going on on Facebook, some weight loss challenges. And uh, it's just a good time of the year, isn't it? New Year to, to turn over a new leaf and to set some new challenges and to start some new resolutions. And uh, that's a good thing. It's a great thing to have some, some new ideas and some fresh ideas and some different things that you can set goals on and um, different ideas of, you know, this is something I really want to change in my life. This is something I want to improve. And that's a great thing. And I want to encourage you to do that. And what I want to do as we start this morning is kick off a, a brand new series called A Questionable Life. And um, it's really going to kind of set us up, I think, for the rest of the year because I think this could be something that as we go deeper into this series and, and really kind of unpack what it is we're going to talk about, this could actually challenge you to think differently about the way that you live your life. I'm hoping this won't be something that's just kind of a short-lived resolution, just a, a quick fix that lasts a week or two during January, but something that actually changes who you are, changes the way you live your life uh, through the year, rest of the year, through the rest of your lives. So that's where we're going with this series, but let me give you some, some background here, just the whole idea of questions. Maybe, um, I don't know about you, but I'm actually looking forward to tomorrow. I'm looking forward to the, the schedule coming back. Uh, I love Christmas. I love the new year. I love that there's kind of just that layback. Maybe some of you are off work. I know some of you are off school, and it's just a different schedule. You get to sleep in late and go to bed late, and, and it's great, but sometimes it just throws you off, and it's going to be nice tomorrow morning to get back onto that schedule. But maybe over the last couple of weeks, as we've celebrated Christmas and the new year, you found yourself at different family functions, and as you've been gathered with family members and uh, maybe some distant cousins or some people you haven't seen since last Christmas, maybe you found yourself around a table or in a living room having some questions asked of you. If it was a family get-together, those questions could have been things like, so what are you up to these days? Maybe it's a cousin or a brother-in-law you haven't seen for a while. Uh, what's new with you? That's a question that maybe you've heard a lot over these last couple of weeks. Um, have you seen Star Wars yet? Maybe that's a question that you, uh, you've been asked over the last couple of weeks. Maybe it's a question you don't really care the answer to, but maybe that was a question that you were asked. So we get these questions, don't we? Maybe you were at a, a work gathering, a Christmas party. Maybe some neighbors had a little get-together for Christmas and invited you over. And this is a different kind of setting because this isn't necessarily family and friends. This is more kind of neighbors and acquaintances, people you don't know that well. So um, same situation, questions being asked, but different kinds of questions. These questions might be, what do you do for a living? Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Maybe it's, where are you from? The number one question I get asked. Everywhere I go, where are you from? It's more of like, a, not like I'm generally interested, like, wow, you talk weird. Where are you from? And it's not Australia. That is the answer they always have. I'm like, England, really? I thought Australia. No, England. Um, where are you from? Maybe you were at a Christmas party. Have you seen the new Star Wars film yet? Maybe that was a question that just wherever you went, people were asking. 
So let's have a little audience participation here. Those are just a few I thought of. Give me some questions that you've been asked over this Christmas period. Family, friends, workmates, neighbors. Any questions you've been asked that were kind of unique questions? Shout them out. Wow, you guys just stayed home the whole Christmas season. Come on, someone must have been asked something. Is your power on? That was the number one question uh, on everyone's lips on Monday. Uh, literally just recharging the cell phone, getting on Facebook. Is it yet? Is it on yet? Is it on yet? Great question. All right. That, that's, you've, you've beaten it now. The, the bar was set way too high. No one's going to shout anything out now because that was a good one. Is your power on? You know, the thing is with questions, okay, we all get asked different kinds of questions. But really, that's how conversations begin, isn't it? With questions. And what those questions are really digging at, what they're really there for is to ask that, that deeper question of, of ultimately, who are you? Who are you? Who, what is it about you? Who, who are you really? It's nothing new. For centuries, people have been dialoguing with one another and having conversations with one another. At the core of all those conversations is that desire to figure out who we really are. Is this someone who I think I will like or not? If not, why not? What can I learn from this person? Is there anything that I can learn from this person? Who is this person? These are the questions we ask of one another to get to know one another better. You know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about this little baby that was born in a manger. But the reality is that little baby, he grew up to be a man. And he lived an incredible life. And um, was, his life was ended very short at the age of 33. And, and we don't really hear much about him until he turned 30. But for three years, we hear an awful lot about Jesus. And you know, a lot of people had a lot of questions about that man. In fact, for the last 2,000 years, people all over the world have still been asking questions. Rich and poor, educated and uneducated, religious and irreligious people have been asking questions of one another as to who was Jesus? Was he just a good man? Was he a prophet? He seemed to know some really wise things and he seemed to, to know a lot. Was he who he said he was? Was he the Son of God? The Messiah? For the last 2,000 years since Jesus walked on this earth, many, many people have asked questions about him. And even when he was alive, walking on this earth, people had questions, deep questions to ask him. You know, there were four people who wrote biographies, wrote about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I looked this week, and just in Luke alone... I came across in one section, in the end of Luke chapter 5 and the beginning of Luke chapter 6, just about 20 verses, not very much at all, but just in that short space, five different people asking Jesus questions. Friends, followers, enemies asking Jesus these questions. Luke 5, 21, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins except God alone? Luke 5, 30, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do your disciples eat and drink? Luke chapter 5, verse 33, in contrast to John's disciples and those religious leaders' disciples. Luke chapter 6, verse 2, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Luke chapter 6, verse 19, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? 
The questions go on and on and on. People asking, who are you? Who is this guy? Everything that he did was so different, so unique, so unexpected that it naturally evoked questions. You know, Jesus, his life is fascinating. And if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, and, and even if you're not, we want to help you kick off this new year as a church. We've, we've got what we're going to call the Matthew Challenge. There's two ways you can participate in this. You can uh, download the Connect Church app if you've not done so already. If you have, you can just click on the Read button, and every day we've got a different chapter of the book of Matthew you can read. If you don't have the app or if you want a reminder, there's actually a, a number you can text. You can text the word Matthew today or, or any point today or the next couple of days to 313131. And we'll text you every day with the verse to read. Now, I do need to warn you, that text will come at 7 o'clock every morning. Okay? I had some people, we've done this once before, and I had some people come to me and they said, listen, I signed up for that thing, but I didn't know you were going to text me every morning at 7 o'clock. I'm like, 7 o'clock? I've been up for ages by then. So this was like super early for this particular person. So if 7 is super early for you, you might want to use the app. But if, uh, if you can handle being awoken by a text at 7 o'clock in the morning to remind you to read a chapter of Matthew, this will be a great, it'll, take, it'll literally take you to the 31st of January. You can take five minutes each morning, and it'll take you through the life of Jesus. A great way to start off the year to, to learn more about this man that evoked so many questions. You see, people weren't asking Jesus, what do you do for a living? What are you up to these days? Have you seen the new Star Wars movie? I mean, they may have been asking him questions like that, and I'm sure there was some small talk. But really, he lived in such a way that people were asking, who is this man? Why does he live the way he does? Everything Jesus did was so countercultural to the society in which he lived. And I think the question that so naturally follows that is, as we, as followers of Jesus this morning, if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, are we, are you, am I, are we living questionable lives? Are we living questionable lives? And what I mean by that isn't, you know, questionable in the sense of like um, a dodgy life. I'm talking about questionable life. Do people have questions to ask of us? And this is where this series is going to be taking us over the next few weeks. What's happening in our lives that's causing others to maybe ask questions? Because you see, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus... This series over these next few weeks is going to really challenge you to think about what your life looks like. Is it just about going to church on a Sunday or is it actually something that changes the way you live? So much so that it actually causes those around you to ask questions. What is it about you? There's something different about you. Why, why do you respond this way or why don't you respond this way? A questionable life. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're just kind of still investigating God. This may be new to you. Maybe this is your New Year's resolution. I should probably go to church. And we're thrilled that you came. In fact, we expected you to come this morning. As a church, one of our values, one of our desires is to reach people who maybe don't have a relationship with God. Every Sunday, we want to help people who are followers of Jesus grow closer to him. But we also want to create an environment and an atmosphere where someone who maybe doesn't have a relationship with God, but is searching, could come and feel like maybe they'll get some of their questions answered. 
Maybe they'll hear something that'll make sense to them. So, so maybe you're here this morning and you're still kind of maybe on the outside looking in, checking things out. I think this series is going to be great for you as well. Because maybe in the past there's been some disillusionment because you maybe knew someone who professed to be a follower of Jesus, but there were some things in their life or some behaviors that kind of caused you to question, well, that's not really much different than than my other friends who aren't followers of Jesus. But what we're going to do in this series, we're going to pull your attention to Jesus himself. Look at the way he lived his life. Look at the things he did that set him apart, that caused people to ask questions. I hope that through this series, as we paint this picture of who Jesus intended us to be, how he intended us to live our lives, and what it actually looks like to be a follower of Jesus, I hope that through this series, whether you're a follower or not, it'll show us more clearly what it looks like to live a questionable life, a life that causes those around us to want to ask questions. You know, the whole idea behind this series actually came from a talk uh, that was given a couple of years ago, 2014, um, back in the spring of 2014 at a conference that runs every spring, and uh, thousands of people go, and it's a special conference for church planters, people who are interested in planting churches, and leaders, and church leaders, and and Case and I were both there, and we got to hear this guy speaking on this subject, and the, the talk he gave that day was entitled, A Questionable Life. He spoke to thousands of us leaders and church leaders and pastors and church planters. And his name was was Michael Frost. He's from Australia. So it was great because he had a really weird accent. And uh, we like listening to people with weird accents. And um, he was speaking. And and he's actually not a pastor himself. He's a, a leader in the church community. But his title, he would say, is a missiologist. Okay, that's, uh, that's him right there, Michael Frost. He would call himself a missiologist. And what he means by that is he feels like his calling is, that to, is to devote his life to studying and understanding and teaching and training what it looks like for followers of Jesus to live missional lives. So he'll teach pastors and leaders and, and, and Christians, you know, what does it look like to live your life missionally? To make a difference in the world in which you're in. Not just to live your life yourself, but to live your lives to impact those around you. He studies that and he teaches and he trains on that subject. He shared this idea that every Christ follower is called to a mission. And that that mission is to participate in helping others find their way back to God. That we all are part of this mission in helping others find Jesus in the way that we have found Jesus. That we are to live missional lives. You know, if you hear last week, Andy Brown, a great friend of mine, came and he wrapped up the year. We had one service and he spoke. He did a great job. And he wrapped up the year by saying that, you know, as we're going into 2016 and we're thinking about what resolutions to set, he said, let me challenge you to just focus on one thing. It was brilliant what he shared. He says, you know, the the one thing, if I could give you advice to focus on one thing, it would be to know Jesus more. If you could focus on one thing this year, it would be to get to know Jesus more in your life. And I couldn't agree more, but I want to add just a little bit to that this morning if I could. I want to make it one bigger thing. I'll still keep it one thing. I won't make it two things, but it'll be just a a bit bigger than, than Andy's thing. You see, there's an organization called Navigators. And I love their vision statement. It's very famous, and and many have used it in different contexts. But their vision statement is to know Christ 
and to make him known. To know Christ and to make him known. And if I could say, man, just one thing, it would be this. Like Andy said, to know Christ, but just not just that, to make him known also. To know Christ and to make him known. In fact, I actually believe that the more you do of the first, the more it wants, the more it makes you want to do the second. The more you know Christ, the more you want to make him known. I was thinking about this, this idea, and it took me back to a vacation that I went on 20 years ago before I was married to my wonderful wife. We were dating at the time, but we were just dating. And um, my parents came over to visit, and uh, they came to visit me here in Washington, Illinois, and we decided to plan a trip down to the Florida Keys. And it was, I think it was around this time of the year. So we went down there, and it was just beautiful. It was sunny, and I'd never been there before, and I arrived there, and I'm like, this is like paradise. It was just so pretty, and the sand, and the, the surf, and there was sunsets every night. You could see just these incredible sunsets. We went out on a, a boat one night and had like a meal on the boat and watched the sunset over um, one of the oceans, whichever one of the oceans, the sunsets over the Pacific or the Atlantic. No, it's not the Pacific. It's the Atlantic, obviously. What am I thinking? Of the Gulf, that's right. There are two. There's a, there is a possibility of it going, but it was the Atlantic, I think. Anyway, I don't think it was. Um, <laughs> but here's the amazing thing. It was beautiful. It was just such a great place to be. I just loved being there. But you know what I kept finding myself thinking while I was there? I kept finding myself in these beautiful moments thinking, Man, I wish Casey was here. She loved this. I wish Casey could see this sunset. In fact, it was in that moment, as I kept having those moments wishing Casey was with me, that I suddenly realized she's the one. She is the one, because I realized that through all of this, I was enjoying it, but it would have been so much better if she'd been there to enjoy it with me. And that was like a turning point in my relationship. I knew that was the girl I wanted to marry. Now, I know that sounds a lot like a scene from Jerry Maguire, and it actually is, but um, it really did happen to me, okay? There's a moment where he's like, oh, I want you to be there with me in the moment, and that's how I felt. I didn't just take it for Jerry Maguire, but you do complete me. Um, <laughs> but when you know Jesus, the more you know him, there's, there's a part of you that just wants others. You're like, man, I want others to experience this. I want others to experience the life, the change he's, he's made in my life. The peace I find, the joy, the hope, these, these things I've found in Jesus in my life. I don't want to just keep this to myself. I want to know Christ, but I want to make him known. I want others to experience this too. And that's the challenge there for us, I think, going into 2016. Are we living lives that are knowing Christ, but also looking for ways to make him known too? How many of you have heard this quote before? Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Anyone heard that? Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. I've heard this. St. Francis of Assisi. I've heard it several times. Well, as I was preparing for this message, I came across um, something that gave me a couple of problems with this phrase. The first is that um, he didn't say this. If you check um, historians and people who have studied St. Francis of Assisi, who was a real person, he really lived, um, throughout all of his writings that we've got, never once did he say this. 
In fact, actually, prior to about 1990, there's no record of him saying this. Suddenly, around 1990 onwards, his, this phrase started to appear and was attributed to him, but he never said it. That's the first problem I've got with this phrase. Now, I like the context of this phrase. I like the idea that it's saying, hey, we should live a life that's not just keeping this to ourselves, but others should see Jesus shining through us. The way we live, the way we behave, the way, you know, it, we shouldn't have to say anything. People should just see the difference in us. I like the phrase. I like the idea behind that. But here's the problem I've got with this phrase. It's a little bit like saying, feed the hungry, and if necessary, use food. Feed the hungry, and if necessary, use food. I mean, if you're going to feed the hungry, use food. <laughs> that, that would help them the best. And really, if you're going to preach the gospel, I think that the best thing we have to preach the gospel is words, is answers to questions. You know, there's a theologian uh, by the name of David Bosch, and in response to this particular statement, he says, of course words are necessary. Unexplained deeds in themselves do not constitute the mission of God's people. In fact, as I was studying this week, I discovered that St. Francis of Assisi himself, he used a lot of words. Historians tell us that sometimes he would be preaching in up to five villages a day, often outdoors in the country. Francis often spoke from a bale of straw or a granary doorway. In town, he would climb on a box or up steps in a public building. He preached to any who gathered to hear this strange but fiery little preacher from Assisi. So not only did he not say it, he didn't even live it. He used a lot of words to communicate the gospel that had changed his life. I think the truth is that we hear that phrase and we gravitate towards it because it kind of lets us off the hook a little bit. Maybe some of us are a little bit afraid to use words. We don't want to come across as, as pushy and we don't want to come across as somebody who's, who's a preachy kind of person and, and laying into people. Maybe we're a little bit afraid that we won't know what words to say, and I'm going to get into that a little bit later here. But before I do that, let me liberate a few of you this morning by sharing something that Paul wrote to the Colossians. The Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church in Colossae, and he wrote this letter called the Colossians. And I'm going to read one from one chapter, just a few verses that I think are going to really free some of you up from that, that fear maybe. Dave, are you telling me that I've got to go out today and just start preaching to everyone I meet? Well, listen to what Paul said in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. He said, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Period. Then he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Here's what I believe, just reading that passage there. Paul here, I think, is implying that when it comes to, to preaching the gospel, sharing your faith, that there are two types of people. First, there's the evangelist, the proclaimer, the, the public speaker, the crusade-leading, stadium-filling preacher. 
The person who just has that ability to turn every conversation to Jesus, and by the end of it, is knelt down on the floor with his friends, praying with them, leading them into a relationship with Jesus. There's, there's just people like that. They're, just, they're evangelists. They can't help but just share Jesus everywhere they go. Paul sees himself as being in this category. And he's actually, in this passage, he's asking the followers of Christ in this letter to pray for him. He's saying, pray for me and others like me that we will do this successfully. That's what I need from you. I need your prayers that I'll be able to do what God has equipped me to do even more successfully. Pray with me that doors are opened. Pray that nothing gets in the way of me proclaiming the message of Jesus. Pray that nothing gets in the way that, that I'm able to proclaim it clearly. That's what Paul's asking. Now, if Paul thought that everyone should be doing this, I think at that point, he would have said, um, the next line in that statement would have been, and I will pray the same thing for you that I've asked you to pray for me. But he doesn't say that. Actually, he says something very different. What he does say is basically, and, and here's what I want from you who aren't maybe gifted evangelists like me, maybe aren't public preachers, people who go out and preach in the highways and the byways. If you're not like that, here's what I want from you. I want you to be wise in the way you behave around those who are outsiders. Those who are not followers of Jesus. Be wise how you behave. You're, you're, people are watching you. They want to see what's different about you. I want you to make the most of every opportunity you have because you're going to have opportunities. So make the most of those opportunities. I want you to be aware of what you are saying to people. I want you to be ready to give an answer to anyone that might have questions about the way you're living your questionable life. I think Paul is saying here, and this is kind of the whole foundation of what we're going to speak on over these next three or four weeks. Paul is saying here that actually that first type of person, the evangelist, that person who has the gift to just kind of get their foot in the door and, and speak eloquently and explain clearly what it means to become a follower of Christ. They draw napkins on, uh, they draw diagrams on napkins, sit next to people on planes, and they're, you know, they've just got that kind of gift. That kind of person is the exception that they're almost the minority. Paul is saying that for most of us, we fall into the second category. That the, for the majority of us, our primary mode of proclaiming the gospel, it will not be with boldness and clarity and public preaching. I think what Paul is saying here in this passage you read the Colossians is that the primary way most of us will proclaim the gospel will be in response to people's questions. It will be in response to people asking questions of us out of a relationship. Why do you do that? Why are you like this? What is it that's different about you? That will be the way that we're able to share what we believe with others. So what this implies is that we should in some way be living lives worth questioning. That's our challenge for 2016. Am I living a life that's truly worth questioning? Is there something about the way I live my life that would cause my neighbor, my friends to look on and say, what is it? Why, why, do you, why are you like that? The challenge to each of us every day now is going to be to ask ourselves, are we living the kind of lives that will cause people to ask questions? 
Is there anything questionable about the way that we care for people in need? About the way that we spend our money? About how we prioritize our time, about our behaviors and our ethics, about our relationships? Is there anything questionable about those? Because if no one is asking us questions, it's time for us to to back up a few steps and maybe ask ourselves, why is that? So over these next few weeks, I want to look at the life of Jesus I want to look at several aspects of his life that kind of set him apart in the culture in which he lived. Attributes that he had that we can aspire to follow that will set us apart too. And I think will cause people in our lives, those who know us the best, those who love us, those who are closest to us, to genuinely want to ask questions of us. But this morning as we introduce this series, I want to leave you with just a real practical idea this morning of how you as a follower of Jesus, can live that kind of missional life that, um, that, that, that author Michael Frost was talking about, how, what it means to look like to live missionally. And it's in this word, the word bless. Okay, I want you to bless someone this year. I want you to bless some people in your life this year. Now, I believe if you're a follower of Christ, you should bless people. People should be blessed by your friendship and your relationship to them. But I want to break this down into a little acronym that's going to help you. And I think this will help some of you as you've maybe had that desire, God, I want to be more effective at knowing Christ and making him known, but I just don't know where to begin. Well, follow these five letters. B is begin with prayer. Start by saying, God, I want to live a questionable life. I want to live a life that people see something different in me. I want there to be a kind of natural um, reaction between me and a friend where they genuinely see something different in my life. They genuinely see that maybe they knew me from before and because of my new relationship with Jesus, they can see the change in my life. And, and God, I want them to see that. Would you help people see that in me? Maybe there's someone in your life right now you need to start praying for. I've got a couple of people right now that on a regular basis, I'm praying for them. Because I think God has kind of orchestrated my life and theirs right now. We've kind of built these friendships. And and I'm really praying for these people. They're not followers of Jesus. And I'm beginning just by praying for them. God, would you prepare their heart? Lord, I want to share with them what you've done in my life. And would you clear the way? Would you help that conversation come very naturally? This will help you as well. The second letter there, L, is listen. Man, this is a good one. Does your mom ever tell you that you've got two ears and one mouth and you should use them in that same proportion? You should be listening twice as much as you're talking. We talk a lot, don't we? We tend to get into a situation, a conversation where we talk, talk, talk. You know, listening is a great attribute. Maybe you've got a friend or maybe you know someone who isn't a follower of Jesus and you've got a great relationship. Listen to their story. Don't be afraid to hear their story. They may say some things that surprise you or shock you or offend you, but, but listen to their story. Get to know them. Again, these, the, these people that I've been praying for, I spend time just listening and, and I'm getting to know them and I'm learning their story and I'm getting to know more about them as I listen. You can listen to God as well. God wants to speak to you and guide you through these conversations. You're going to like this one. E is for eat. I know that probably goes against some of your New Year's resolutions, but whatever your resolution was, you're still going to eat at least 21 times each week, okay? Three times a day, seven days a week. So, so why not, if you're going to eat 21 times in a week, why not take a couple of those times and say, hey, I'm going to choose to eat with someone else. Could be a colleague at work, could be a family member, a friend. I might have breakfast with someone or lunch with someone, but, but I'm going to be intentional because during those meals, I can kind of get to, I can listen, I can get to know that person a little bit better. 
The fourth S is serve. You know, if you have this attitude of, I want to serve people in my life. I want to make a difference by, by serving others, by being able to meet needs and, and help where I can. It can change the dynamic of every relationship that you're in. And then the final S, and that's important to understand, this is the final S, is story. Every one of you who is a follower of Jesus here this morning has a story to tell. You have a story of something that God has done in your life. You have a story to tell of a, um, how Jesus has been there with you through this situation or how we went through this or how I've um, you know, never felt Jesus let me know. You, there's, there's some kind of story that you can tell of what Jesus has done in your life. And I think the reason we're afraid to, to speak to others and maybe the reason we, we sometimes shy away from it, we don't want to come across, is because we've met people who cut straight to the S. They didn't do any others. They were stood on a street corner with a bullhorn and they're shouting, you sinner, you, you, you. Let me tell you this story. And they've not done any of the others. And sometimes we shy away from that. But what you'll find is as you work through the idea of praying and listening and eating, and some of you here this morning are going, could I just not eat more and less story? No, this is, you've got to kind of work through all of them because they're all important. But that, that idea of being able to share your story because my hope and prayer is, as we're intentional in this, as we start to pray for people in our lives who maybe don't know Jesus, start to listen to their stories, maybe eat a meal with them, serve them in some way, there's going to come a point where you won't have to force your story because they'll be asking you questions. Your questionable life will create this opportunity for you to say, let me tell you why. Let me answer that question for you. Because for many of us, sharing our stories just... It really is just talking about the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. So imagine with me this morning what that might be like this year. Imagine if we could live our lives in such a way that it would evoke curiosity. Imagine if how you lived and how you carried yourself was so radically different from the way others live, but in a pleasant way and not a push people away kind of way, but in a way that draws them in. That's what I want. I want people to be drawn into me and, and even to be asking questions. It's not going to be easy, but over the next few weeks, we're going to dig deeper and deeper into what this would look like in specific areas of our life that would cause us to live so differently that people around would genuinely want to be asking us questions. So I want to finish this morning by letting Michael Frost speak to all of us in his wonderful Australian accent, so that you can all hear how different it is from my even more wonderful English accent. <laughs> He's going to tell us a story about a shoe salesman in California. And I want you and him, I to embrace our mission to bless the world, to bless the people in our worlds. And may you and I live a questionable life. Watch this video with me. Years ago, when uh, Alan Hirsch and I were writing a book called The Shaping of Things to Come, we were in San Francisco trying to sniff out some missional projects and um, a number of people told us that we should go to the Subterranean Shoe Room, which is a shoe store in the Mission District of San Francisco. Now, we were looking for missional projects, not shoe stores, but 
People were so insistent that we check it out that we went along there and we discovered the subterranean shoe room was a shoe store run by a former Southern Baptist uh, church planter who'd moved to the Mission District. He loved shoes, obsessed apparently with shoes. And so he thought on the side, you know, this would be his kind of business entry into the neighborhood. So he opened this very funky little um, uh, shoe store called the Subterranean Shoe Room. Alan Hirsch and I, we walk in there. It's just a room with, with shelves everywhere, shoes everywhere, and a long chaise lounge down the middle of the room. We walk in, he asks, can he help us? We said, we're not actually here for any shoes. Uh, he looked at our feet and said, you could do with some shoes, but... <laughs> we said, we're here because someone told us this is some kind of missional thing that you've got going on here. Oh, he said, I don't know about that. I'm just a shoe store guy, he said. But I do do a little something a little different from most shoe store owners. We said, well, what do you do? He said, well, when people come into my shoe store, they're looking at shoes, and I, like any shoe store attendant, go over and I say, can I help you? And you say what everyone always says to a shoe store attendant, um, I'm okay, I'm just, just looking. And he said, at that point, I will say to them, well, if you have the time and you'd like to join me on the lounge, if you'd like to share with me your life story, I'll tell you what kind of shoes you're looking for. He says, customers kind of go, all right. <laughs> he said, some people can tell me their life story in like five minutes, some like 25 minutes. I was born here, I was raised there, I went to school here, my dad did this, my mum did that, I'm divorced, I'm straight, I'm gay, I'm Christian, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, Blah, out comes their whole life story. Sometimes it comes out with tears and people sharing stuff they've never shared before. So they just tell them, they unburden themselves of their whole life story. And then, because I know shoes, he said, I mean, I love shoes. So when you've told me your whole life story, I do know what kind of shoes a person like you would wear. So after you've shared with me your life story, I then say to you, wait right here. I select a pair of shoes and I say, is this what you're looking for? And you see, after they've opened their lives to me, they're like a little raw, so they usually look at the shoes and say, that's exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> so he said, I, I, like, I sell a lot of shoes. But then it says, on the way out, while we're, like, uh, we're, we're completing the transaction, they say to me, who are you? He says, I'm a shoe store guy. No, 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 like, like seriously, really, who are you? No, I'm a shoe store guy. No, you're like, you're like some kind of like Buddhist guru kind of sort of masquerading as a shoe store. No, I'm a, you're like a psychiatrist who decided to, no, I'm just a, you're like, like, like seriously, who are you? He said, at that point we get talking and he said, since I became a shoe store guy who listens, I've been invited to more parties, weddings, bar mitzvahs, divorce celebrations. <laughs> he says, I've spoken to people about Jesus a hundred times more since I became a surprising shoe store guy than when I ever was a Southern Baptist church planter. If you're an evangelist, my prayer for you is this. Be bold. Put your foot in the door. 
prise open every opportunity and proclaim with clarity. But if that's not your gifting, if you're like most of us, this is your mission should you accept it. Live a questionable life. So Lord, as we kick off 2016, I pray that this would be our mission in life, to know you and to make you known. That in the busyness of our lives, Lord, we would slow down enough to look at the people that you may have put into our lives for just that reason, to make you known. That we would take the time to sit and listen to someone's story. Allow someone who's close to us to share what they're going through and God, I pray in those moments we'll have that opportunity to share them with them, then our story, to answer those questions of what you've done in our life. Help us, I pray, to live these questionable lives in Jesus' name. Amen.